and welcome back to the Calder's Calling podcast, AHL News Now's flagship podcast in your premier destination for everything surrounding the American Hockey League. My name's Dina Weinheimer. I'm going to be your host today. But guys, let's celebrate just a little bit because for the first time since week one, you have all four of us this week as I'm joined by Corey Swartz and Jay Foster and Xander Manning. And then later in the show, we're going to be joined by Cleveland Monsters forward Trey Fix-Wolanski. Plus, of course, you're going to be getting your weekly dose of AHL news recaps and discussion. But before we kick things off, I want to remind you that you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube. Honestly, make sure to watch the YouTube feed of our podcast because, well, you get some extra little clips and treats and stuff in there. So hop on over there. So feel free to like, subscribe, so you can get every episode straight into your feed. And also before we uh, get started talking about the quick hits of AHL news, I do want to thank our show sponsor, Document Doctors. When their crew is not on the ice, they can help you and your business optimize and increase your revenue and profits to a bigger slice. Check out documentdoctorsllc.com. And don't forget to mention that AHL News Now sent you to them. So, all right, we're just going to get right into this show here, and we're going to look at some quick hits of AHL news. First, we are going to send it over to Corey with a milestone for a goaltender. Yeah, we had a milestone this past weekend as uh, goaltender Dustin Tokarski suited up for his 400th career AHL game, making him the 18th goaltender all-time to reach that milestone in the American Hockey League. I was surprised by that stat when I read that because you don't think about it too much with goaltenders, but having goaltenders around for 400 games is apparently quite a rarity anymore. Especially in the AHL too, it's a bit of a rarity too, because you think someone's good enough to start two 400 games in the AHL, they move up, but not in his case, I guess. I mean, but good on him though. I mean, it's, Really need to get that, that milestone in this day and age. But it's one of those things. Some players are just really suited for the American Hockey League. And Dustin Tokarski is one of them. And speaking of players that are really just suited for the American Hockey League, uh, I just want to bring up a longtime veteran of the game of the AHL. Those especially out in the Eastern Conference will know this name very well, but Jerry Mayhew. So uh, Jerry recently had back-to-back game winners in overtime for the Charlotte Checkers. Just check this out. Oh, just down low, gets it in. Perfect. Let's get that goal. And that actually, those two back-to-back game winners helped the checkers go four and oh on their recent homestand so great job for for jerry great job for the checkers as they look to solidify themselves in the atlantic division so we are going to go from the atlantic we're going to go literally to the other end of the country to the pacific division and i just want to talk for just a couple minutes about the ontario rain Okay, listen to this. So heading into last weekend, the Reign were on a five-game winning streak. 
only allowing eight goals in those games. Then they fly out to Colorado, have a little road trip to go see the Colorado Eagles, where they proceed to drop two in a row, dropping 10 total goals in those games. Both final scores, five to three. Granted, Friday night's win was mainly thanks to Riley Tufty, who notched his first career hat trick, uh, leading the league in goals for just nine in or four nine in just eight games. But Jay, I don't know if you can shed maybe a little bit of light on this. Is this just truly the case of, you know, Riley Tufty and the Eagles were super hot last weekend, or is there something maybe sneaking up on the Ontario Rain here? Uh, I am just double-checking what the uh, situation is with the goalies, because I suspect it might be that one goalie is playing some games and another goalie is playing the other games. Um, The Ontario Arena are a weird team anyway. Uh, They're kind of streaky. They dropped their first two games uh, of the season and then won, I think, was it five straight? And then dropped another two straight. So, like, they do this a lot. Sometimes they just decide to lose three games in a row. Um, But it's... It looks like it might not be goaltending. Uh, David Riddich is 3-3 three and three on the year, has a 9-12. Eric Portillo, who I'm pretty high on, is 2-1 and one, uh, with an 8-80. So I think it might just be that the rain are weird. And also, they struggle with Colorado anyway. I believe Colorado has kicked them out of the playoffs three seasons running. So Ooh. it uh, sometimes a team just has another team's number, you know? I wonder if the defensive play has anything to do with that as well, too. Maybe just sloppy play on the defensive end? How have you been watching the games at all? Uh, no, I have not been watching the uh, as many rain games as I would like, but that wouldn't surprise me. They lost a lot of the um, D to the Kings. Um in the past kind of couple of seasons, the Kings obviously losing Sean Dursey meant that Jordan Spence went up and it's kind of a, a knock on effect. So that could be, that could be the case. I do think it is probably just that for whatever reason, the rain can't beat the Eagles, which is just so frustrating. So well, some it's... teams just have that Achilles heel, I guess. Exactly. So it sounds like it's a team that we need to watch maybe in Ontario mm-hmm. TJ, a little bit to see. TJ uh, Tynan is going to continue to do TJ Tynan things. Uh, he's had kind of a slow start to the season. Yeah. If I remember rightly, um, where is he on the list? Uh, but he's always good for, you know, leading the team in points being, he's got uh, eight points in, in nine games. He's the captain of the team. Uh, big, big TJ Tynan fan. Uh, for uh, for me, anyway. Um, so I would expect him to start to rack up the assists more often. He's got seven assists in nine games, so I am uh, looking for him to get involved. And yeah, the rain again. The rain are usually a lot of fun. So if you're looking for a team that you want to pay a little bit more attention to, like they might not be a bad choice. Plus, teaching time is just so fun to watch. I personally exactly. have a thing for the quote-unquote undersized uh, have a forwards. Um, that... <laughs> you know, I have a brand. Oh, it, yeah. Small forwards that play at 120 miles an hour and no other speed. Um, and he hasn't kind of are... been the same since he lost uh, Jarrett Anderson-Dolan and Martin Furk, uh, who were his line mates two seasons ago when he, I believe, set an AHL record for scoring. Or an NHL record for for assists, excuse me. But he still he still got it. So a player Martin, to watch and a team to watch for sure. Martin Furk went overseas, didn't he? 
I believe after playing for Springfield. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was with Springfield for a season or two, and then he went overseas. Oh, is he overseas now? I knew he'd left to go to Springfield. But... Yes. Yeah. He was a lot of fun to watch in Springfield, I'll I tell you that him. much. I'll just never forget that year at the All-Star game where he just absolutely blew everybody away on the hardest shot contest and even beat like the numbers in the, the in the NHL. Yeah. Um, it was he's got a hard slap shot. Yeah. Oh yeah, I would not want to block that. Nope. I wouldn't want to block any, but that one in particular. I I'd, I'd be diving out of the way. Uh yeah. Yeah. But okay, this is going to be a really cheesy uh segue, but do you know who's not diving out of the way? Goaltender Dennis Hiddleby, who got his first AHL victory and his first shutout for uh during his pro career. He plays for the Marlies. Just his fourth start. Again, first shutout with his first victory. He stood in the way of all those shots, turning away 26 against the Laval Rocket. And just another thing to take away from that, it's just the Laval Rockets continue, or issues continue. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, but way to go to, for a young goaltender to kind of get both of those uh, career first out of the way there. And to continue on to that, another goaltender standing on in front of the Nets was Jesper Walstead of the Iowa Wild. The two starts over the weekend, 950 save percentage, stopping 57 of 60 shots. I mean, 57 shots in two games is just crazy. Well, not only that, this, this is the stat that I really like, though, is that Okay, so before he did that 57 out of 60, which is spectacular no matter how you look at it. This is actually a bounce back after the last game he had prior to this one. He let in six goals. And then he comes back in 57 out of 60. Way to go, Jesper. That That's pretty impressive. I did not read that far down. But wow. Yeah, yes, the Wolfstack kind of has had a weird start to his season. Um The Wild I, I like Wolf a lot. Um there's a lot of discussion about him versus Sebastian Cosa, because they were both first round draft picks a couple of seasons ago. Sebastian Cosa has also had a really hot start to his season. Um but that six goal outing was extremely un uh Wolfstead like. So I'm glad that it seems like he is uh on the way back up, uh, he has a 9.19 save percentage so far on the season, so it looks like he has really started to kind of pick himself back up, which you love to see. I feel like the Wild have just had a strange start to the season in general, not not even just the players, just the team as a whole. They'll go on stretches, they'll look good, and then they won't look so good, and then they'll look like the best team in the league. Sounds a bit like the parent team. Oof. A little bit. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of teams, to be honest. It it does. <laughs> I have some thoughts, <laughs> but I'm not going to keep. Uh, I, I I'm not going to take up the show with that. So, uh, yeah. I mean, again, AHL Player of the Week. It's obvious. The league looks highly whenever you lead your team to victory twice in a row, but to do it like that, just amazing. Amazing. Well-deserved, in my opinion. 
Absolutely. So now you know the league's star of the week. We're going to get into our individual stars of the week. And Corey, I'm going to let you uh, go first here with your first star of the week. I'll be totally honest with you. Jay beat me to the punch on this one, honestly. Um, I knew that. <laughs> I wrote it down. I was like, Corey's going to be real mad at me about this. Yeah, yeah. So naturally, I looked inward um, towards what I could think of here. And I'm just saying that this season is the Mike Scarbosa Revenge Tour. Uh, you know, talking, I know we talk about on a weekly basis, but uh, his season overall has been fantastic. He's got 12 points in 11 games, three goals, nine assists. There's only been two games the Bears have played that he hasn't scored in, believe it or not, which is what's just absolutely insane to me. He's been all over the place. Um, He's currently on a five-game point streak here, and it's impressive to me because it's kind of sneaky how much he gets involved in. You know, there's there's a lot of times where you overlook, oh, hey, Mike Scarbosa, you know, helped us set up this play. You know, he's a regular on the power play. He's kind of, you know, he plays a lot of different roles offensively for the Bears. There you see him centering to Ethan Frank for one of Ethan's many goals this season, I'm sure. But he's, you know, this is a guy that missed out on the last three rounds of the postseason for the Bears last year. You kind of feel that he's an X factor for the Bears after, you know, kind of being there, you know, being a, such a leading scorer for the team last season then missing so much of the playoffs, including a Calder Cup. I was just talking to somebody earlier today about it where we said, how much do you think it burns him up, you know, seeing kind of his line score that game seven goal in overtime with him not on it? You know, he's kind of come back with a vengeance this year and he works hard at practices. He's always one of the last guys off the ice, skates as many reps as everybody else. This is a guy that I think wants it wants it more than anybody at this point. I mean, that's just a great leader to have in the room, too, to set that kind of precedent for the younger guys. Like, no matter how long you've been here, what you've accomplished, you still have to continue working as hard, if not harder, each with each coming season. And having some of those veteran guys, like you have him and Ethan Frank and Mike Vecchioni all in the same line, one of the only lines to stay in its entirety from last year to this year, believe it or not, despite how many returning guys there are. So it goes a long way towards establishing the team's identity, you know, being an example. I know for uh, the, the Bridgeport game on Saturday in which, you know, Todd Nelson kind of challenged his team to say, you know, if you're not going to work hard today, you're going to work hard in practice. You know, some very Herb Brooks-like type of things. Yeah. And uh, it was like that in practice today, even. They were still running some of those uh, very close to the Herbies, as he, you know, was so famous for during the 1980 uh, run to the Olympics there, of course. But, uh, you know, he's just a great leader. And with as young as Hershey has become this season, it's the impact it has is immeasurable, not just on the ice, too. Well, I'm going to start off the, I guess, the tour of the Nathans, and I'm going to go with Nathan Smith out of Tucson. So two games against Chicago, and he tallied one goal each game, including a game winner. Currently, he is on a five-game point streak, two goals, three assists for a point-per-game average in that span. And for a team that, I mean, just the entire organization, you know, out there in Arizona, some people like to dog on them a little bit, but these Tucson Roadrunners, you know, they tend to make a little bit of noise here and there. And yeah, just overall, you know, great job, Nathan Smith. He and um, Shane, or I always want to say Shane Doan. <laughs> How about this? Shane Doan's son, <laughs> Josh, they have just been 
partnering up and just making things happen out there. When those two hit the ice, it's a thing of beauty. Let's talk about a different Nathan, um, friend of the show, uh, close personal friend. Uh, my star <laughs> of the week is Nathan Walker, who uh, has just seemed to have arrived on the scoring leaderboard in the past kind of weekend. Uh, he had four goals in his last three games, uh, which were two wins and a loss. Uh I believe, a big win over Belleville, an overtime win over Belleville, and uh, a close loss to Bridgeport. Two of his goals were power play goals. Two of his goals were shorthanded goals. Uh, One of them was an empty net. One of them was a game winner. Um, Just this kid feels like he's he's on the brink of being too good for the AHL. Um, And I don't necessarily think there is such a thing as too good for the AHL, um, but he has has found his niche in, in Springfield, and it's really fun to see. Another thing, too, about Nathan Walker I want to touch on as well is he's now tied with Adam Gaudet for second place in the AHL in points. And Gaudet was looking pretty unstoppable to start out the season. And the only person ahead of them is who I talked about last week, Archie Baines. And he's only one point in front of them. So, and Springfield's playing before them tomorrow in the school day game. And one of them two, if not both of them, could overtake him tomorrow. One of the things I always love about Nathan as well is that he's got a really great skill set. You know, you see, you saw in that clip there, if you're watching on the YouTube side of it, he scores the goals in, you know, very familiar but very skillful ways, going to the net front, getting deflections, dirty goals. His shorthanded goal was a thing of beauty, you know, coming out and, you know, just kind of wheeling. And he is, he's just got a very deceptively great shot as well. Uh, totally a guy, in my opinion, should not have been sent down from the St. Louis Blues, but, you know, obviously player limits are player limits up top there, so to speak. So St. Louis's loss is Springfield's gain. And, you know, in this kind of time where they're really kind of seeking points and establishing themselves, you know, he, he very nearly carried them to the finish line against Bridgeport all by himself. So, you know, he's a great player for them to have. I'm sure they're, they're thrilled to, you know, be able to have his services for as long as, uh, as long as they can. I was going to say that goal right there. I'm sure you have seen that a million times over Corey, just down low, just getting his stick down and making it happen. Absolutely. He's that's, it's an emblematic Nathan Walker goal. Honestly, is you know, he'll, he'll pay the price to get those goals. He will, he'll do anything it takes. Honestly. See, he's a great character guy. He's a great leader for the Thunderbirds to have there. I think every team would love to have a Nathan Walker on their team. Like you mentioned, he gets to those dirty areas, and he doesn't care if he gets tripped up getting there. He will get that goal no matter what it takes. Hey, he'll fight a guy two times his size, and he'll probably win, too, honestly. (laughs) He'll fight a guy. He'll do it because he's scrappy, but not because he's big. I was going to say it sounds a lot like our guest coming up here in Trafix Wolanski. He doesn't care how big you are. for, For Star of the Week. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, but I thought that would just be a little bit too on the nose. It would seem a little kiss buddy, but I don't know. Yeah, true. <laughs> For lack He's... of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Xander, who is your star of the week? So my star this week is I'm going back to the Western Conference for the second week in a row. I know, shocker. I'm going with Maverick Bork of the Texas Stars, who have, who has definitely surprised me this season. Just the team as a whole has surprised me. 
in the last two games, Maverick Bork has had five points, two goals, three assists, one power play goal, and a plus two rating. Now, while the numbers look good, yes, they do. But what really gets me and pushes me over the edge is that one power play goal. We talked about it last week, and what's really important to me is that he's helping the team win on special teams. I may be a goalie sucker. I I love the goalie stats, but I also love the special team stats. And when you have a person who not only contributes on even strength, gets those assists, gets those goals, but also contributes on the power play, that says a lot to me about who you are as a goal scorer. I just remember when he first came into the league and he was so highly touted. And I just love to see whenever young players live up to those expectations and just seamlessly Uh integrate. So great job, Maverick. All right. So those were our, our stars of the week. And now we're just going to turn it over to each one of us to host our own little individual segments here. And Jay, we're giving you the top billing here. So go right on ahead. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about rookies today, uh, because there are a ton of them that are a ton of fun. Um, and a lot of them are scoring at a really great clip. Uh, I didn't, I should have done the, the full research. I didn't. That's on me. Uh, but there are seven rookies that are more than a point per game in the top 20. There are two rookies that are in the top 20 of the league scoring as a whole with, um, Joshua Wah of the, Laval Rocket and Logan Stankoven of the Texas Stars. Uh, Stankoven has 13 points in nine games. Joshua Wah has 12 points in 10 games. Um, they are also leading their te- their respective teams in scoring, uh, as well as um, there are a couple of other guys that are also doing that. Uh, the Manitoba Moose have two rookies in the top three of their scoring in uh, Brad Lambert and Nikita Shiprikov. It's just, it, I don't know whether it's recency bias, but I feel like there are a lot of really, really great rookies that's going to make the rookie scoring race a lot of fun. This season, I did just go and check, and there was no rookies that finished in the top 20 of league scoring last season. And obviously, it's early days, but I'm a big fan of Logan Stankoven's game. I'm excited that he's doing well. Um, And I also want to hop over to goalies, because there are also many, many rookie goalies this season. San Jose has two, Rockford has two. Um, the top, I think, 10 goalies, uh, 10 rookie goalies, excuse me, all have um, above a 900 save percentage in, in the early going. Uh, Isaac Poulter of Utica is leading the way with a 942. Uh, and then from personal bias, uh, Georgi Romanov in San Jose has a 903 after being so close to his first shutout victory uh, this weekend in Calgary. Uh, and as previously mentioned, Sebastian Kosa in his rookie season um, is rocking a 923 after, quite frankly, really struggling in the ECHL last season. So it looks like he's had an extra year of development. He's figured it out. Um, and I just think it's fun when when the rookies do well, um, I was at the very beginning of the season was lucky enough to see two rookie versus rookie, uh, like AHL debut games in the series with Rockford and San Jose, where both teams started a rookie goalie making their debut, uh, at the same time. 
So that was a lot of fun. And uh, that's kind of that's kind of all I've got. I just wanted to get excited about rookies because I, I like it when the kids do well. Well, here's a few more rookies to kind of keep an eye out for. Again, this is very early on, but I was just looking at the plus minus for the league so far. But one name that really stood out is John Farinacci. Now, I got to watch him this past weekend up in Cleveland. This kid is the real deal for sure. Through 10 games played, he's a plus nine. He's second in the league. And then there's Xavier Parent through eight games is a plus six. Ethan, he is out of the Utica Comets. Then Ethan Frisch with uh, the San Jose Barracuda in three games is a plus five. But that John Farinacci out of Providence, just that's spectacular for a rookie, especially whenever he's, uh, you know, point eight points a game. Not too shabby. But I just wanted to talk real quick about that San Jose goaltender. Romanov, that was such a heartbreaker. I know. I, I, was I actually so watched that game, and <laughs> like, I'm, not, not I'm sitting here, these guys. But I got. I was actually a little bit mad. Now I will admit, I have a soft spot in my heart for the Calgary Wranglers, mainly because of their home broadcaster. You know, female in the league, doing her thing, doing a really good job. Um, but. I'm just sitting there watching it, and I just know how tough Calgary can be. And he's just stopping them like it's—I I almost said like it's his job, but it kind of is his job. Yeah. But but he's stopping them like he's on you know a little skip through the tulips or something. And uh, it's it a very un-Calgary like game. They made Dustin Wolf yeah. look human. And, yes. Uh, I don't know. I had a lot of fun watching that game but yeah i do wish that he'd got the the shutout that was a real heartbreaker with i think three minutes left in the game uh calgary finally broke through which seems mean and unnecessary but i guess yeah. that's that's hockey you know touching yes. back on farinacci too and for a pl- what did you say his plus minus was a plus eight that he's a plus nine plus nine and to think he was undrafted wait too. what I, he is. He went undrafted, or no? He was no. He went unsigned. He wasn't undrafted. He was drafted by the Coyotes, and they didn't sign him. So the Bruins just swooped in and said, "I'll take him." Coyotes, what are you doing? They have they to be love- kicking themselves right now, right? Oh, um, I imagine they were kicking themselves so hard. It's- and. It- to think that's the position that the Bruins need to a centerman, but I think it's worth noting kind of going back to this whole rookies thing. It is worth noting to me that, you know, trajectory in the AHL for development. I mean, it's a development league, right? You know, it's, it's hard in a lot of these situations for these players to just break into these, these teams, you know, it's not like, you know, every, one of these rookies has likely, you know, some of them obviously have the billings to type of thing, but none of these guys come on and take like first line minutes, you know, top line power play minutes where they're playing in all these great scoring situations. A lot of these guys have to earn it. And not only just on, you know, the offensive side of the puck, but you know, all areas, these guys are trying to improve, you know, across the board type of thing. You know, you have your snipers, you have your, you know, guys that are going to live up to that. But these are guys that are doing it in a variety of different manners, you know, all these different positions. It kind of goes just to speak to how strong the AHL is 
at development, developing these players and, you know, assisting them in these really high level situations that will no doubt prepare them for these leaps that are not too far off from coming too. Yeah. And that's a really good point because I'm actually currently working on a story that you'll soon be able to see within the next week or so at ahlnewsnow.com talking about the Cleveland Monsters rookies. And I chatted with uh, James Malatesta last last Saturday after uh, their win there. And he actually uh, talked to us a little bit about how the transition to the pro game was harder than he expected. And he had to get in there and earn his time. And basically everyone on that team, especially the rookies, are having to truly earn the time, go through it. So I'm glad you brought that point up, Corey, because it's not easy to just – hey, hockey is hockey is hockey. I'm just going to go in there and do this amazing thing. Sometimes it's hard. And especially a lot of these guys will have been the best player on their team up until very, very recently, you know, and then they get that, you know, either they were their best, the best player on their major junior team or their NCAA team or whatever. And then they get into the adult leagues and they're like, oh, I'm not the best player on the team anymore. And they have to, it's a struggle to adapt to that sometimes. I think a lot of guys struggle to, figure out oh everyone else here is as good as me or better and they have to figure out kind of a a niche in the league but yeah columbus cleveland is a really interesting situation right now because they have too many players um luca del babaloo's i think that he sat for four games before he got in the in the lineup and then i don't think he's missed a game since so you know sometimes you just need to once you have your chance you take it and he took his and ran which is a lot of fun to see dina to your point about the about the rookies and, you know, them having to earn time. I, I see it in Hershey here. The Bears have a couple of rookies, Ryan Hofer and Bogdan Trineyev, uh this season, who are guys that have been kind of in and out of the lineup. You know, they'll, they'll go with different looks on these things. Even a returning player like Henry Rubinsky has had a hard time, you know, staying in the lineup all the time and, you know, trying to earn it. And you feel bad for a guy like Trineyev that, you know, he's was essentially in the lineup, uh, scored a couple of goals, a couple of big goals for the Bears, you know, had one game that maybe wasn't quite as good. And then they, you know, went with a different look type of thing. So it's hard, you know, you wrote like to your point about learning, you also have to learn to find consistency too. So there's a lot that goes into this from a development standpoint that, you know, I think makes these guys particular achievements very worthwhile and highlighting for sure. Before we move on to our next segment and welcoming our guests for the show, I do have some more to share about our show sponsor, Document Doctors. Is your business growing beyond the four walls of your office? As businesses grow, so do the challenges of keeping your employees trained, safe, and supported. Document Doctors, a proud sponsor of the Calder's Calling podcast and AHLnewsnow.com, offers affordable solutions to help optimize your business and keep the good times rolling. They offer content-focused solutions such as training document creation, back office process optimization, policy and procedure development, and much more. Support our podcast and AHL News Now by visiting them at documentdoctorsllc.com. And don't forget to mention us when talking to their team of contentologists. When you do, you help financially support our podcast and website. Shop and support small businesses today. Now it's time to move on to probably the segment most of you are waiting for our special guest. Our guest this week is no stranger to the scoring leaderboard in the American Hockey League. 
since his debut in the 19 or 2019-2020 season, Trafix Wolanski has been a points machine, using his talent and tenacity to set a .87 point per game pace across 175 games in five seasons in the American Hockey League. Last season, he was named to the AHL second All-Star team and made his NHL debut and tallied his first NHL goal on February 8th, 2022, against the Washington Capitals. Hailing from Edmonton and at just 24, Trey recently passed Zach Dalby for second all-time in Monsters history with 64 career tallies. Just three behind Andrew Agazzino for first place in Monsters history. Now we welcome him here to the Calder's Calling podcast. Trey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing good. Thank you. All right. I guess we'll start this off on a little bit of an unusual note here, but uh, I was brought to my attention. There was a team event yesterday and I believe Dina wanted me to ask if, uh, if you tried the ropes course at this event yesterday. Um, no, personally, I did not try the ropes course. I was going to, um, I decided I was going to play laser tag instead, but um, Tyler angle took, took part in the ropes course and, uh, it looked like it looked like a lot of fun, so um, it was nice to get out in the community and um, you know be able to interact with fans again. Hey, the laser tag is pretty good substitute if I do say so myself. Yeah, I think I might have had the high score too. I don't know. But that I knew I liked you for a re- for a reason, Trey. <laughs> yeah, I was watching that video of Tyler Angle, and yeah, he didn't look too thrilled to be up there. So I was just curious if anybody followed suit with him. Yeah, I don't know. I think the harness might have been a little bit too tight for him. <laughs> well, that would make it uncomfortable for sure. But um, switching to a little bit more of a serious note here, um, you know, on the ice, of course, you guys had fun with that Meet the Team event last night. But on the ice, the roster, you know, the room has gone through a little bit of well, some massive changes here in the offseason with Dylan Simpson retiring, you know, Brett Gallant, Justin Richards, and a few others did not return. So that's a loss of some massive experience. But then you have guys like you, Carson Meyer, Josh Dunn, Tyler Engel, who we were just talking about, that are one year more experienced, one year wiser in the ways of pro hockey. So what has the change in the room been like? And how is the transition from being one of the younger guys in the room to welcoming new guys into pro hockey? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's been turnover every year. And um, this year, it just so happens that the turnover um, made the team a lot younger. So um, it's been a nice little adjustment. I know my first year when I was 20, I was, I think, the oldest or the youngest guy by three or four years. And, um, you know, this year and last year, we kind of, had a lot more younger guys coming in, um, you know, halfway through the season, start of the season and at the end of the season. So, um, you know, they got a little bit of experience last year. And then um, the 20 year olds that uh, we brought into the room this year, they've done an amazing job. They've been playing great on the ice and, um, you know, obviously still pretty young, but I've been, been, been in the AHL for a while. So I think I um, know what it takes in, in that room and in that league. And so I'm just trying to uh, do whatever I can to, bring the young guys along and, um, you know, show them what it takes to to take that next step um, in pro hockey. So talking about some of the young guys, there has been a lot of talk, especially this season, um, especially around one person in particular with Kent Johnson, and of course, other top prospects across the league. 
you know, being sent to play in the AHL. Some people are calling it a demotion or like it's some type of punishment. I'm just curious as to uh, someone like yourself, you have had some massive success in the American Hockey League. How do you feel um, about the league in general and about the, I guess, development system between the National Hockey League and the American Hockey League? Yeah, I think um, you see every year that there are AHL grads that go on to play in the NHL and um, not only play in the NHL, but make an impact in the NHL. And um, every person's dream in the AHL, I'm sure of it, is to be an NHL player. Um, so every day we're, we work hard, um, whether it's in the gym or, or practice. And I know other teams are doing the same, other players are doing the same. And, um, you know, it drives the competition up in the league. And um, I feel like... Uh, the league has gotten younger, but um, it's more teams, prospects that are in the league and um, great players. So, um, you know, the, the way that the game's played now, it's um, it's a fast, fast-paced game and um, it, it is getting younger every year. So um, I'm excited to, the way that the, the game is going. T- taking it back a little bit in your own experience, you played for the Edmonton Oil Kings and WHL and Growing up in Edmonton, obviously you were an Oilers fan, I imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. What, what was Oilers it like? Fan. What was it like playing on the same ice as the Oilers? Uh, well, actually, it was kind of crazy. My first year, um, our first game was the first ever game in Rogers Place, so um, we had a sold out crowd at Rogers Place for a, for a junior game, and um, honestly, that was something from junior that I'll never forget. Um, being able to play in front of all those fans and. Um, I believe we won that game in overtime or a shootout, if I, if I remember correctly. So it was um, a great night. And then, um, you know, you see the NHL players, McDavid, Dreisaitl, um walking around the rink or um, they'll pass by when we were playing sewer ball or warming up. And, um, you know, they say, what's up to you? And when you're in junior, that, that means the world to you. So um, it was nice to be around, especially those players, but uh, just an NHL, an NHL team in general. Now, speaking of McDavid and all of them, I got to ask you, if you had to choose between McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Messier in their prime, um, who would you play with? I know the ideal answer is Gretzky, but out of those guys, who would you want to play with? Um, I think all all great players, obviously. Um, I wasn't... I, I wasn't able to watch Messier in person or um, live, and I think that has a lot to go into it, but um, just the pace that McDavid plays at and, and uh, the pace he can make plays at, I think, playing with Connor McDavid and, um, you know, just trying to get open for a shot or get back to or something so he can find you, would be able to have a lot of success. So um, I think the, the player that I would want to play with out of those three would be Connor McDavid. At the speed that you play, that answer doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fair to say that you were probably the MVP of the Cleveland Monsters last season um but is there anything that you haven't achieved in kind of the AHL with the monsters that you still want to um I think the number one thing is making the playoffs um I could pick a personal um achievement that I want but um I've been here this will be my fifth year and um we haven't really had great years in the past and uh last year was kind of a step in the right direction and I believe this year we have we have a squad that can make an impact in the league. And um, the number one thing for me this year is to do whatever I can to help this team make playoffs. 
Obviously, with you being a seventh-round draft pick of the Blue Jackets and kind of being on the the shorter side for a hockey player, which I relate to as someone who is also like five foot eight, uh, <laughs> I was just wondering, like, did that did that affect how you kind of approached your goals to become a professional hockey player? Did it like how did you how did you deal with being a seventh-round draft pick and then going into the AHL? Yeah, definitely. I mean. Um... Kind of all my life, I was told I was too small um, and I wasn't going to make it. And so that kind of started a fire inside of me to prove prove everyone that said that wrong. And, um, you know, it's kind of a, a long shot for a seventh round uh, draft pick to, to play in the NHL. But um, I played my first game and scored my first goal in my first game. And, um, you know, I think the days of being undersized are kind of coming to an end and, you see a lot of undersized guys in the NHL having a ton of success and, um, you know, playing a, playing a huge impact for their teams. And um, I want to be able to do that for an NHL team one day. Um, obviously Columbus right now, but, um, you know, whatever, whatever team in the NHL I'm able to play for, I think um, that's, like I said, every kid's dream is just to play in the NHL. And um, so working every day um, in the gym on the ice to to try and become the best that I can and, um, you know, take that step to be a full-time NHL player. So speaking of the NHL, do you have your first goal puck or if you don't, who has it? Uh, yes, uh, not with me in Cleveland, but um, I have my first jersey, which they put in a, in a big plaque. And then um, my first goal puck as well, which is at my parents' house back in Edmonton um, in our TV room. So um, you know, whenever I'm over there hanging out uh, in the TV room, I always have a nice little reminder of um, what I was able to do. And speaking of first pucks, you know, we just had in Cleveland this past weekend, two rookies get their first career goals in Luca Del Bell Blues and James Malatesta. What does Cleveland do for for first or for first goals? Do they do anything special or do they just put the tape on the puck and say, here you go? Uh, no, I think, um, if I can remember correctly, they do a plaque as well. I believe I have a plaque for my, um, first puck from Cleveland. I think it has changed over the years. I think the, they kind of stepped up the plaque game, but, um, I know, uh, I know kind of everyone that has their, their first goal gets a really nice memorabilia from it. It's not just, um, you know, the tape and Sharpie on the puck. I got to ask, I know you're, you come from Edmonton, but are you kind of like a celebrity in your neighborhood? Um, it's kind of funny. Um, sometimes just the last name, if my dad's working and someone, um, was a former Oil Kings fan or has been to games, they always ask him like, Hey, is Trey, Trey, your kid? Or, um, my mom, um, always the same thing. She's a nurse. So she sees a lot of people and they always get the question, but, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm a celebrity. Edmonton's a pretty big city. So they got, they got McDavid, they got Dreisaitl, they got those guys that they can worry about. I kind of fly under the radar back home. <laughs> Wait till you make it to the pros, right? Yeah, no. Once uh, once you get a little bit more solidified, then maybe uh, maybe people will start noticing me walking down the street. Trey, one more for you to wrap it up here. But we're entering specialty jersey season. So I've been kind of asking these guys, I've been kind of talking a little bit about it here on the show, but 
Do you have a favorite specialty jersey you've ever worn or seen one around the league that you really like? Or uh, what's your opinion on the best specialty jerseys you've seen or worn? I know Cleveland uh, has some great ones. Yeah, Cleveland, we've had a lot of great ones over the years. Um, the Cleveland Lumberjack jerseys that we do, those are always a, a huge hit for me. Um, I, I really enjoyed the uh, Salute to Service jerseys we just did. Um, but I'd say... Overall, my number one favorite would be back when I was playing in Edmonton Junior. We had Teddy Bear Toss game, and um, we had jerseys that made us look like teddy bears, and they had like a teddy bear tail on the back, and it, it was kind of it was kind of funny. Um, so I would say those one that one definitely left the the biggest memory in my head. I'm gonna have to look up an image of that. That sounds great. Yeah, I think I think they had me pose in the picture, so there might be a picture somewhere on the internet floating of me in a in a teddy bear jersey with a tail. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up here, do you have any message for any of the Cleveland fans or AHL fans that will be listening? Yeah, um, we appreciate all the um, you know effort you make to come support the team and. Um, like I said, we're going to do our best to make the playoffs for the fans and, um, you know, make the playoffs for, for ourselves as well. I think, uh, that's something we owe to ourselves and we owe to the great fans of Cleveland. So I'm excited to, uh, show up each and every night for the fans and for the team and, um, make a push for the playoffs. Well, once again, ladies and gentlemen, that is Trey Fix-Wolanski from the Cleveland Monsters. Thank you once again for your time. It's always a pleasure to, to, to chat with you. Yeah, thank you guys very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, for my segment here, guys, piggybacking off one of those last questions there for Trey Fix-Wolanski, uh, who was great in that interview, by the way. Um, just wanted to bring it up. It's the season now for specialty jerseys. I am very excited because the specialty jerseys are all one of my favorite segments each season to kind of highlight here. And really right now it's kind of hockey fights cancer. Um, you know, that event's time to shine. Everybody's going to be probably, you know, using their specialty jerseys for that here real soon. Uh, my favorite so far is the Hershey bears look for this, uh, this particular iteration. I'm a sucker for these kinds of jerseys, but it looks so nice. I'm a huge fan of what the bears do every year for it design wise. I think they, you know, take something that to me is kind of tough and they knock it out of the park every single time. So um, do you guys have a particular favorite jersey that you've seen before or, you know, one that's in the past, one that's coming up? I, I you know the ugly sweater is you know, a favorite for a lot of a lot of people, myself included. So I figured this would be an open ended segment, frankly. I mean, I'm biased, but I really love a pride jersey. Or a hockey is for everyone jersey, if you insist on calling them that. Um, I just think it's neat. I'm also a big fan of the Hockey Fights Cancer ones, just because I think there should be more purple jerseys in general. Um, it's a really underused color scheme, I think. So it's always nice to see that, if nothing else. Um, I did want to touch on kind of the, the concept of specialty jerseys in general, because I love this as a concept. And it makes me kind of sad that they're not in the NHL anymore, because I really love to see, like... There were a lot of different really great ones. Like, I know the Ariotas did, like, a Black History Month one uh, last season that ruled. Um, they do, like, Diwali. They do Chinese Heritage Nights. They do Native American and uh, Indigenous Heritage Night jerseys. Like, there's just so many good ones. And I'm really glad that the AHL um, 
lets the teams wear them on the ice, but also they let them wear them for games, which is a lot of fun because it gives the fans a chance to see the jerseys more than just for, you know, 15 minutes a night. And I know why the NHL didn't let them do that because of, like, advertising purposes, basically. But I'm just glad that the AHL has that kind of freedom to kind of express causes that are important to the league, the team, the players, and uh, everything like that. But I think kind of going back to that, I think it's got to be the pride jerseys for me. When it's so hard now, I, I mean, I know at the beginning of the season, the teams come out with their schedules and their uh, promotional games and stuff. But with the jerseys, it seems like they tend to hold them a little bit closer to the chest and wait until like, a week or two ahead of time to, you know, hit people with it. And it's just, I don't know. It's hard to try to say, oh yeah, I'm super excited for this specific Jersey. Um, but one thing I love is whenever teams do like mascot birthdays and do a whole celebration about that, like in Belleville, they're doing Belly's birthday party on February 19th. And it's against Hershey. I'm sure they're going to have like Belly's buddies or, well, that just came off the top of my head. Belly's buddies at Belly's birthday. Okay. So like those kind of nights are fun. My personal favorite, and I know it's not a specialty Jersey, but it is a theme night is any night where it's like a, uh, pups at the rink, dogs at the rink, uh, hockey and paws, whatever you want to call them, but when people can bring their dogs. How did I know? <laughs> How did because, I know? Well, okay. So last season, we got to take our puppy Jasmine to her very first one. That's the first time I've ever been to one of those games. And it was the most fun I've ever had in a hockey arena. And that says a lot considering how many games I've been to. But having everyone there with their dogs and they're doing the Simba cam where they hold up their dogs and all that. Um, but, I mean, I love how the AHL is so creative with this from, you know, doing things like the Springfield isotopes and the mascot birthday parties to, you know, I saw Lehigh Valley had like a, a Swifties night here recently where they... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know you <laughs> yep. You guys are like, no, but for someone like me, it's like, if I look closer to Lehigh Valley, I probably would have gone to that game, but I'm all the way in central Ohio. I'm not driving all the way over there for a game. But yeah, the, the AHL has so much more liberty to be fun and a little silly with some of these things. I love it. But Dina, you did, you talked about the jersey that I am looking forward to the isotopes i am looking forward to the isotopes in springfield but i will say it's not the one i'm most looking forward to um i'm looking forward to the throwback night in springfield and um it's i look forward to it because of all the names of the teams that have been in springfield and of course the bears have been around for a while the barracuda are a relatively new team the monsters have kind of switched around from the Cleveland monsters to the Erie monsters. to I, it's been relatively the same, but Springfield's gone from the Falcons to the Kings, to the Indians, to the finally being the Thunderbirds and for them to be the Falcons for a night and bring back those old school looking jerseys and like the old school logos, just, 
beautiful to see those jerseys again. And that, and it's fun to kind of be transported back to that time when before they were the Thunderbirds. Can I bring up the San Diego Gulls real quick? I was just looking through theirs. They have a Mexican Heritage Night that they are doing a specialty jersey on in February. Can I change my answer and say I cannot wait to see what that looks like? Oh, my god! That has the potential to be amazing. That's also huge, too. A lot of Californian teams will do it, like Dio de los Marcos. Uh, yes. Jersey or theme night, which is always a lot of fun. Um, the Barracuda Tia del Mar jerseys are real fun. Um, they are bright purple, and I enjoy that a lot. Are you talking about the Kings Tia de Martos jerseys? No, I was talking about the Barracuda ones. Um, oh. But the, the, the gold Kings one was, are... the rain one was really good. Um California does a really good job with that kind of Latin American heritage, which I uh, which I like a lot because there's a lot of Latin American people in California. Can I also bring up Trey Fix Wolanski one more time and that he's getting his own bobblehead? Sure. <laughs> I want to speak. That's a one, theme night. I want to speak one more for what Xander was going on earlier with old school ones. The Bears did a post about this and it just kind of jogged my mind talking about this. I live for the Hershey Bears throwback jerseys. Whenever they do those for a couple, you know, whether it's uh, Bears Hall of Fame night, you know, they, they find a way to work those in every so often. I want to buy all of them, usually. Like, they have some great ones. Like, I, I, they posted from over the years, like, you know, that's just, that's old school to a degree that is very much worthy of appreciation, I feel like, for the Bears. But, you know, you have some old ones. Like, I think one... This look is one that I want to see come back. I love the skating bear in the in the circle there. I am a huge fan of that. I don't think there's all of these ones are quite pictured, but you know the '97 jerseys when they won that year. Um, next slide, I believe, is the 2010 jerseys, the swiping bear, the old school one, and you know, obviously, the current look is you know the most superior one in my book, and I'm a little bit biased towards saying that, of course, but. You know, they have so many different just iconic looks. I live for it when they bring back the old school ones, even just for a little bit for, you know, warm ups or whatever the case is. It's always nice to see it. But I want to buy all of them. And it's very much <laughs> it's very much been a bad thing for my wallet, honestly. I don't think I've ever seen the swiping bear one. That one's I love that one. That one's so good. It's old. It, it was one, it has a unique history because it was the first... They changed the logo when they moved to the Giant Center in 2002. So it was a little bit controversial because it was one of the the times they really moved away from that traditional old-school bear that they've had for you know years and years and years, you know, the entire time they were in Hershey Park Arena. So it was a little controversial, depending on who you ask. Some people love it, some people don't love it as much. But I love it because I grew up with it, to be honest with you. So very biased. So I take it you love the reverse retro looks? Um, In the NHL, it, it's hit or miss for me. It, you know, like, for instance, like the Washington Capitals, when they went back to the, the Screaming Eagle look with the dark jerseys and they had the white ones there for a little bit. I'm like, yes, I'm all about that one. The Flyers one they had last year for the, it was the white with the black shoulders. I was not a fan of it because I'm like, this doesn't, isn't based off of enough for me. You know, like it just wasn't. Wasn't a home run type of thing. Their current jerseys now, perfection. You know, I think they're very good. A little bit of tweaking would be nice, but 
you know, reverse retros like the concept, it kind of wore out its welcome a little bit with me, but you know, it's going all right. So anyhow, that was my segment. I love jerseys and I love talking about jerseys and I love talking about bears jerseys. So it works out nicely. All right, in our final segment this week, Xander is going to talk to us about some rules between the NHL and AHL, I believe. So what I wanted to talk about this week is the coach's challenge, which when you hear the coach's challenge, you think, okay, well, it's the same between the NHL and the AHL, right? Not the case. In fact, it's very different between the two, at least in my eyes. In the NHL, you can challenge a goal for any variety of reasons. Just about you could challenge it if they were offside. You could challenge it if there was a penalty beforehand. You could challenge it if they kicked it in the net. Almost anything. But in the AHL, you could challenge it for goalie interference. You could challenge it for the goalie being out of the crease. Any of that. Now... You bring it down to the AHL level, just one step below the NHL. And according to Rule 79.3, and I looked this up in the AHL rulebook, the coach's challenge is limited to the following. And this is throughout any game. Puck crossing the goal line, puck crossing the line prior to the, the goal being dislodged, the puck crossing before or after the period ends, a kicking motion, Puck being deliberately directed, batted, or thrown into the net by anything other than stick, into the net through the meshing, into the net underneath the net frame, or the puck entering the net but not detected by the ref. No goalie interference, no offsides, nothing. And to me, I I just don't understand why there are two different sets of coaches' challenges for both leagues. In fact, I was covering a game last year of the Thunderbirds where a goal was disallowed for goalie's interference just based off of video review, but not challengeable. Meanwhile, the goaltender was about 20 feet out of his crease, which was, which incensed Springfield coach Drew Bannister to say the least. I could hear him from the press box yelling at the refs. That's how bad the call was. And I asked him about it after the game and didn't quite say these were exactly. I'm paraphrasing. He said that it was not a very good call. <laughs> and, I could imagine why that's paraphrased. And I had to take a step back and say, oh, okay, so I tell me how you really feel, Drew. And I'd, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on coaches' challenges. My initial thought is I have so much respect for the officials that spend time between the AHL and NHL for keeping all of this straight. Because there are officials just like players that spend time in between both leagues and with rules that are different, that has to be an unenviable Mm -hmm. job. And yeah, I'm just... Rules confuse me, and that's why I'm not an official. Another thing I want to add, too, what's interesting about it, too, is you add the difference, too. In the NHL, you get unlimited challenges. If you get it wrong, you get a two-minute penalty. 
In the NH- in the AHL, you lose a timeout, and then you don't get any more. But you can keep challenging in the NHL. I don't quite believe that's true. I believe they have a limited number of challenges. If they, so I believe they're limited to ten challenges per game. Um, <laughs> Still, they, that's they, practically they lose, unlimited. They challenge, then they get it taken away. Um, I, I believe I read it was a two-minute minor and then a four-minute double minor after that, and then up to. I think after that point, they just get too frustrated and say, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) No more. We're done. We're done. No more challenges. It is kind of interesting, though, because that same kind of sentiment echoed with with the Bears recently on Saturdays. Bridgeport, their opponent, scored a goal where, you know, in most cases, I think it would have been challenged for goaltender interference. And the Bears probably had a good argument. But, you know, then they asked, you know, um, Todd Nelson after the after the game about it, and he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and he went, "There's," he said, "We can't, we can't review it." And he said, "It's you know, it's tough because it's something that you know they very much could benefit from." But you know, to your point, Xander, I mean, you know, this is kind of a preparation league for the NHL. You know, is it something that needs to be revisited down the line to sort of say, "Hey, like, you know, not that these players are the ones that necessarily make these challenges, but coaches go up to the NHL just as much as." you know, players do. And, you know, it's also a developmental league for that sort of thing too. You know, it might be to the benefit to revisit some of these kind of, you know, old school rules that predated, you know, having a lot of video equipment, having a lot of these different elements here too. So it'd be nice to see that kind of maybe change up a little bit down the line. And it's not, it's not even just that too. It's also that it's below the AHL level as well. When I was talking to Bannister last year, he even said, you can challenge for goaltender interference in college. You can do it in the Ontario League, but you can't do it in the AHL, which kind of puzzles me as to why can you do it below? Why can you do it above, but not in the AHL? Like, do you not have the equipment? Do you not have the ability? Do you not have the right training? I, I don't know. You would think that the colleges can have that equipment that the AHL could as well. That was part of his argument when I was interviewing him as well, too. <laughs> Well, next time we talk to somebody up at the uh, AHL offices for the podcast, we might just have to ask them about that. But that's going to be it for this week's edition of Calder's Calling. If you'd like to check out our written coverage of the American Hockey League, please check us out online at AHL News Now. You can also follow us over on Twitter at AHL News Now. Please also be sure to subscribe and rate our podcast. Share it with your friends, family, coworkers, beer league buddies, whoever you'd like that's a hockey fan. We appreciate all of your support. And finally, we'd like to extend a special thank you to our sponsor, Document Doctors, our guest, Trey Fix-Wolanski. And I would like to expend a super special uh, thank you to Nicole Del Villano with the Cleveland Monsters for helping me get this availability set up. She's wonderful, and I'm so thankful to have her um, in the media relations area there. So until next week, be sure to toss your foam pucks responsibly, and we'll see you all next Wednesday. 